Last fall, we talked to Mark Punyanita about the digital physical exam. And today, I'm excited to have a conversation about the virtual lab visit. There's an obvious theme developing here about the nature of virtual care. And what better time than while the world is effectively under quarantine to slow the spread of COVID-19? And it's even more appropriate that today's conversation features the first U.S. company to offer an at-home COVID-19 test for hospitals and healthcare providers. Hello and welcome to Data Points, the podcast about all the ways that data and analytics are driving innovation in healthcare today. I'm your host, Greg Matthews, and today's guest is Tim Bauer, the head of clinical science at Everlywell. Tim has been at the forefront of studying human physiology and metabolism for many years, and today is leading clinical science at Everlywell, a revolutionary at-home testing company that offers more than 30 at-home test kits, from fertility to food sensitivity tests, for an increasingly sophisticated base of health consumers. Join us as we talk about the past, present, and future of diagnostic testing and predictive modeling in healthcare. Tim, thanks so much for being with us on Data Point today. Yeah, you're welcome. It's great. I uh, have been eager to have this conversation. As, uh, as an Austinite, I have been tracking the progress of Everly Well for some time. And uh, as you may know, we've had some really interesting genomic content uh, featured on this show. And so I'm, I've been very excited to talk to you about the work that you're doing here and um, you know, how it may relate to, to some of the things that our other listeners have, uh, have asked about. As we get started, I want to give our listeners a sense of who you are. And so would you mind sketching in a little background for us? So, you know, it's interesting. I am a physiologist by training. I was an exercise physiologist early in my career. Transitioned uh, from that into having a strong interest into disease and pathophysiology of disease and and how exercise and metabolism um, might be modified in those particular states. And so that took me in the direction of um, postdoctoral training and even my doctoral work, um, looking at diseases and exercise, um, and then in the areas of diabetes, vascular disease, and cardiovascular disease in particular. And so my postdoctoral work was in diabetes, type 2 diabetes in particular, and endocrinology. Um, And then also I did a postdoc in cardiology as well, looking primarily at the vascular diseases. Um, And certainly there's a lot of overlap between cardiometabolic disease we hear a lot in the press these days. And so I found myself in a fairly sweet spot. Absolutely. And it actually inherently provides some pretty interesting links between uh, genetic makeup, behavior, environment, and so forth. For uh, sure. So a little bit of foreshadowing, I think, for where our conversation is going to go. Um, as you sort of moved into the professional world, what are what are some of the steps that you took that wound up bringing you here to Austin? You know, it's interesting. I, I had an opportunity to jump to a fairly large pharma company um, after my postdoctoral work and had some experiences there um, with Gilead Sciences and then went on to more or less sort of academic scientific consulting um, for a number of years for a good portion of the major pharma companies in the, basically in the world. Um, And then finally found myself landing a position with an interesting proteomic company, uh, which offered me as a physiologist probably one of the most fascinating, useful tools to assess physiology and pathophysiology. Um, And it really made me start to think about when we we measure things, we look at things like genetics, uh, and those allow us to measure and, and capture sort of estimated lifetime risks of certain things. 
but they didn't allow us to actually measure where we are on the continuum towards a disease, mm. or once we've developed disease, where we are on, um, you know, on the progression of disease itself. Yeah, and that's where measuring items like proteins or metabolites and things like that in real time now give us a better picture that we can actually map that out. And so I was with that proteomic company for about seven years. Um, and what was interesting is in the advent of our current big data world, when you think about big data sets like genome se genetic sequencing, mm -hmm. um, that type of thing, you start measuring large scale proteins over time, you're actually starting to take information that was inherently very hard to achieve and costly, much like genetics was 10, 20 years ago. Yep. Um, now we're putting in a frame that we can measure it rapidly, measure it dynamically over time, and it's really sort of the digitization of biology, if you will. That is fascinating, and I'm really curious about sort of the evolution of our ability to do that kind of diagnostic work. Can you walk us through sort of What's, what does that evolution look like and what's the timeline? Because we, I think we've all, you know, we know the Human Genome Project, you know, concluded, what, 20 years ago-ish? And the rise or the evolution of consumer genomics has been uh, at an incredible pace. Tell me about some of the other uh, diagnostic environment that you've been around and what that looks like from an evolutionary perspective. Yeah, so whether it's measuring proteins or metabolites um, or, or, or other standard clinical tests which measure those types of things, um, but in a more uh, standardized fashion, um, the ability to measure the dynamic change or um, a response to a therapy, for example, is really unique and interesting. Um, and that really does help us fill in the gaps. So when I think about the utilization, we've heard other companies and groups talk about multi-omics mm -hmm. analysis. We think about how can we assess uh, the risk of a particular disease or, or a therapy being efficacious within a particular group, but then how do we really measure the effect? Well, we have to either go to a clinical outcome or something that we trust that we can measure that is sensitive to the intervention, right, over time, yeah. or the disease over time. Okay. And what are some of those things? You know, maybe in some of the conditions you've described, what are, how do we measure those things, and how does that look different than it has in the past? Sure. So, I mean, if we just look at um, you know, standard clinical lab test, perfect example is cholesterol. Okay. Right? So we have a genetic predisp predisposition for hypercholesterolemia, right? So it's a familial um, alteration in the genetic structure, mm -hmm. puts you at greater risk. These people develop um, high cholesterol in their lifetime genetically, um, and then we obviously they're at greater risk for cardiovascular disease later. Yep. Uh, we have a measurement, total cholesterol, HDL cholesterol, LDL cholesterol, that we can measure over time. And we know that managing those numbers actually leads to better outcomes in those patients with FH, right? Yes. And so that's like sort of a historical example. Now, you can do that with other diseases in other states, but that one's probably one of the more... Uh, no, and that is a good one. I mean, and is example. the way that we actually measure that cholesterol, has that changed significantly in the last several years? You know, the specific uh, methodologies probably have evolved over the last two decades. Um, I don't know the, the specific details of the technologies that have been yeah. used over, over that time, but you can imagine there's likely some elevation or evolution of that particular technology over time. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really curious, and this is kind of bringing us into the work that you're doing today. Are there particular measurements or diagnostics that are particularly adaptable to use outside the clinic, for example? Um, and 
what are some of those things that, that we may not have thought of? Um, in terms of, are you talking in terms of technology? Or yeah, in terms just, of well, I'm, I'm actually thinking about the, the, the test types themselves. You okay. know, what are, what are some of the things that adapt well to use outside the clinic? Well, I think you know, there's two different ways to think about it. There's one method, which is what technologies lend themselves to measuring other things. Yeah. Right. And then there's another way of looking at it in terms of what types of tests or pieces of information, what are the, uh, the biological pieces of information that you can measure that can be used outside of a clinical setting that might actually help somebody better understand their own biology, their own physiology, and maybe make some active lifestyle changes to, yeah. to make them live a better life. Um, so there's two ways to look at it. On the technology side, you know, I'm not a, a, a lab technologist, so I sure. Um, you know, there are certainly some developments there. You know, we've seen um, in genetics, you saw them go from microarrays to sequencers, uh, right? So there's a big evolution in terms of what we can measure, both in time, cost, mm. and technology that evolved there that we've seen over the last couple decades. Um, you'll see the same type of thing happening with metabolites. You know, there's a lot of mass spec as being the primary way of doing that, but there are also other methods you can draw into that if you're just looking at a, a small handful of metabolites uh, or proteins over time. There's a variety of technologies that allow you to do that at scale. So what are some of the things that really led you to come to Austin to start working with Everlywell? What was it that stood out about this organization that really kind of got to you. Yeah, you know, this was interesting. So my previous role, that whole idea of digitizing biology at scale, um, yeah. and then what you can learn from that to then inform either clinical decision-making or empowering people to make their own health decisions over time, really stood out to me. I saw what happened with uh, genetics and consumer genetics companies. Um, and it was fascinating, particularly the interest in the uptake on the consumer mm -hmm. side. But, you know, there's some real pearls in there in terms of, of learning about your biology and certainly an interest. And now having the ability to monitor where you are over time was just fascinating to me. And then I look at a company like Everlywell, um, which is basically now bringing what we'll call standardized lab tests into the hands of the consumer in a controlled, um, validated way. And these are the same lab tests um, your doctor can call for at the central lab in their facility or uh, can refer out from their clinic. Um, and now we're doing it in a way that actually can provide that information back to the individual in a convenient, uh, validated way. They can take into their physician, make in conjunction with the physician, say, hey, these are my health concerns. Mm -hmm. I actually have a result to attest. Um, this is what it's making me think of as my physician. How should we together talk about my care and, and can this be used to help me? Um, live a healthier life. Perfect. And that is actually a place where we're going to take a break. So stick around. We're going to be right back with Tim Bauer on DataPoint. We are back on DataPoint. I'm your host, Greg Matthews. We are here with Tim Bauer of EverlyWell. Tim, as we went into the break, we were starting to get into some of the things that intrigued you about an opportunity to uh, come and work for a company like EverlyWell. And I think it might be good for some of our listeners who may not have detailed familiarity can you tell us a little bit about what Everlywell is and does? Sure, absolutely. So Everlywell is a digital health company um, set around the mission to empower people to take hold of and manage their own health. And we do that by offering consumer-initiated lab testing. So we're connecting consumers with uh, basically the standard clinical lab tests you might get at your physician's office. And these are for the folks who might be curious or have a particular health concern, 
And in the cases of, you know, curious whether they have uh, any reason to be see a physician or go in. Mm-hmm. Um, we do offer some tests, for example. I'll give you an example here. Some uh, validated tests around sexually transmitted infection. Okay. So certainly an area where folks may or may not want to engage the healthcare system, but they mm-hmm. may have a health concern. Um, we also offer a variety of other tests in other areas like cholesterol and lipids and, and heart health and diabetes, et cetera, that type of monitoring. So um, it's really geared towards those things. The key here is that you as a consumer can initiate the process through the purchase of a kit. Uh, upon registration of that kit, your order or that, that sample will be approved uh, in order a test requisition form by a third-party physician network. Uh, who will then, and then we'll then run your sample. Once you've sent in your sample, um, they'll review the results, and then we'll dis- display those results post-physician approval back up to our dashboard for you to engage with it. Fantastic. And in, included in that, you know, what the uh, consumer gets back, are the, do they uh, have the opportunity to get some context around, you know, how their measurement uh, relates to a quote-unquote normal measurement or... Uh, you know, other kind of comparison to, of, of various populations. Yep. What, what would that look like? Yep. So for every test, you'll get you'll get a result back, and it'll be graded based upon normal, abnormal. For example, in the case of a of a dichotomous diagnostic like an STI result, or it could just be a refer, you know relative to the reference range for normal and abnormal values that's provided by the laboratory, and that's displayed in a digital format on our platform. Um, in the cases of critical values, so those things that might come outside of the range in the realm of normal, they have the opportunity uh, for the physician network that's been engaged to outreach and, and, and get questions about that. And so consumers can actually engage in that level. Fantastic. And I know that some of these tests actually have a, um, uh, a genomic component. Can you speak a little bit to that? How does that part of the process work? You know, we do some genetic level assays as part of the tests. Mm-hmm. Um, the FIT test might be a good example for that. It's not a genetic test for in terms of determining a risk for a particular condition, but mm-hmm. it's actually using genetic-based technologies um, for the use of, and derive derivation of the particular result. Right? Interesting. Yep. Interesting. So it's not a genetic test per se. And I, one of the things, one of the tests that I saw that I found particularly interesting, just because I, I have a personal connection to it, is um, there's a food sensitivity test. What, what is that like, uh, and, and how does that work? So it's based upon a um, sort of an uh, immune response to a food antigen presented in your system. Um, the technology used to make the determination across, you know, I think with the expanded platform, it's quite a bit, it might be as many as 108 food antigens, um, to determine your IgG reactivity to a particular food substance, food antigen substance. And so the report would give you back uh, a, a value of ranging from low to very high um, in terms of what the reactivity of your IgG is to that particular food antigen. That's fascinating. Is that a, is that a blood-based test or a saliva-based? Or? That's a blood-based test. Yep. Huh. So through a finger prick, um, provided on a card, and then, of course, you send the card in and they're analyzed that way. As head of clinical science, tell me about some of the things that you're doing and seeing sort of at an aggregate level. You've now serviced thousands of patients uh, over the life of Everlywell. Do you have an opportunity to study the, that resulting data? How has that impacted sort of the way that you interact with consumers, the way that you think about the future? That's a great question. So 
coming into the role in you know f- fairly relatively recently in October. This is actually a function that we're building now. So mm. historically, um, the level of data aggregation has been very minimal. We would re- retain um, only the information required to run the test, which is legally ret- required to, to actually do that and retain those values per requirements. And that data would stay in our warehouse, and we really haven't done much in terms of data aggregation or using it. And that's been fairly minimal. As we begin to move forward, um, the ability to um, grow results and analyze results that might enhance a customer's engagement with the platform, maybe mm-hmm. allow them to learn more about themselves, uh, demonstrate in large aggregated data sets, um, the benefits of at-home testing towards health outcomes are in our vision and our roadmap, and that infrastructure we're starting to build and, and conceive of now as part of our mission. That is, I, I find that really intriguing. I'm also really, I'm curious, and this may be looking a little bit into the crystal ball, but as genetic testing becomes more widespread, uh, as patients are becoming more empowered uh, in terms of tracking their own data, tracking their own progress, what do you see as the the implications for a company like Everly Well in terms of managing those trends? You know, it's interesting. You know, when I think about the multi-omics way forward, if you were to look at a world, let's say, 10 years from now, right, in a future state, um, and somebody has an idea, they've done their genetic sequencing, they have some risk assessments for the predisposition for certain diseases, and now they have a method to generally and objectively uh, measure and remeasure um, certain biomarkers that might be reflective of their progression towards that disease or their state of health. Mm-hmm. Um, you can imagine that being used in an aggregated way for an individual over time. Um, to make certain decisions and work with their healthcare providers that hopefully will be better outcomes for them to live a better life. Um, when we think about the opportunity for companies like Everly Well, which are not a genetic-based company, mm-hmm. our opportunities really lie upon the ability to, to measure these objective measurements repeatedly over time and create, if you will, a holistic picture of what your health trajectory might look like, right? Yeah. And so, for example, um, I'm in my 40s. Um, if had I been tracking my, and likely it's within my medical record, but had been tracking and had access to my cholesterol levels, mm-hmm. let's say annually or, or biannually, I'd, I'd be able to see, oh, I had a little blip in, you know, 2014, right? And then everything came down. Well, it turns out that coincided with me um, having an injury and backing off my exercise routine for four months, mm-hmm. right? And so it's those types of relationships that we don't have a picture of as individuals now, they're kind of hidden behind walls. Um, a company like Everlywell is going to help break down those walls. So mm-hmm. me or you as an individual might be able to say, hey, here's a little bit of cause and effect. Here's an objective measurement. This is telling me something about my health, and I can make some decisions about it. I, I find that truly fascinating. And what you're talking about is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of really come out of left field here. I'm really curious about how that information could be captured and aggregated in such a way that not only could an individual identify patterns in their health, but also that that could be done more at a population level and even potentially integrated into other types of, um, you know, phenome data. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, how do you see the future for that kind of data integration for the purpose of that kind of pattern recognition? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I th you have the uh, the first project, how do you aggregate all the data you need to be right. able to develop some of those things, whether they're unsupervised AI, like machine learning activities or supervised ones. And that might be a whole conversation we should, or a debate we should have <laughs> in terms of the, the merits of both of those approaches. Mm -hmm. But how do you do that at scale? So one, you have to have access to all the sources. And how do you integrate all the sources? And these are clinical data management problems the pharma and biotech world have been wrestling with for the last 40, 50 years. And right. a lot of technologies have emerged. Um, certainly, the Googles of the world and the large data players in the world um, have solutions to be able to handle massive data sets. Um, but we need to do it in a way that actually can be integrated, it can talk together, it can work together, and you can actually draw a meaningful insight from. Um, and I think that's the real trick. And so part of it is um, not forgetting the past, having some context around the question and understanding the meaning of, of, of what the outcome um, should be, and then using those techniques in, in a de-identified, aggregated way to, to get there. And so maybe it's standard lab tests from Everlywell, Maybe it's a test result from a consumer genetics company, and maybe it's uh, data from your activity monitor you're wearing on your wrist or your finger, um, and a few other things mm -hmm. integrated in a way that now I have lots of data inputs from which I can actually create a picture of my health. If uh, if you had a magic wand, Tim, and had the ability to, you, I, it feels like you and Everlywell are already well ahead of the trend towards consumer empowerment in terms of managing healthcare. You're riding the, the wave of technology that's enabling uh, a lot of that to be more consumer driven than it ever has. If there was one thing, one domino that needed to fall to really accelerate that process, whether it's a, a change in the regulatory environment, whether it's the, um, the lowering of cost, making more accessible a, a piece of technology. Is there is there a one thing that you could point to that you think might have a really huge impact in sort of in terms of making this future real? You know, I think on the technology front, there's certainly some things that could happen there, but I think that technology has come far enough that that's probably not the single one barrier for mm -hmm. this any longer. I do think cost um, is probably something that's probably in the top two or three. Right. And so you know, we talked about a variety of different technologies earlier about metabolomics or proteomics or yeah. standard lab testing. These are still very, like genetics was in the very beginning, they're still very expensive technologies to get that level of information. Right. And we've seen companies who try to do this rise and fall largely because of waning interest, but I think financial concerns. So I, I'd say cost is probably one of the major ones. I mean, you think about an activity monitor, they can be from very inexpensive to several hundred dollars and then on top of that you have a cell phone and on top of that you have a data plan and mm -hmm. all of a sudden um, the technology costs really start to skyrocket let alone you know objective tests of biology and so forth like blood testing sure as yeah especially for certain kinds of populations that yep. you know are already at risk or vulnerable yep. um okay this has been a fascinating conversation i'm so grateful for you sharing your thoughts here tim if people want to learn more about the work that you're doing here at Everlywell, what's the best way for them to uh, to look you up, to make a connection, whatever that might be? 
Uh, they can certainly reach out to us uh, at the, the Everly Wall website. I'd say stay tuned for updates to our science page in the coming months as we start to get our research programs together and off the ground if they'd like to learn more about um, what our initiatives going on there. And certainly um, you can find us um, through those mechanisms primarily. Excellent. And I will make sure that we have links in our show notes so that you, if you're driving right now, don't feel like you have to write all this down. It'll all be in the show notes. Uh, we'll have links to Everly Well uh, and to Tim also. Tim, thanks so much. You're welcome. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to the Data Point podcast. If you like what you've heard, please do rate, review, and share it with your social network. It means a lot. And if you have ideas for show topics or guests, please email them to me at greg at healthquant.health or send a direct message to at Chai Moose on Twitter. That's C-H-I-M-O-O-S-E on Twitter. For more information about this show or any of the terrific healthcare podcasts in the Touchpoint Media Network, check them out at touchpoint.health. See you next time.